Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. Uh, today, we're talking about a really important and frankly kind of hard, or at least yeah. a very tough subject of trauma. Uh, in fact, we're calling this How to Lead Kids Who've Experienced Adult-Sized Trauma and that's happening a lot today. It is, the vast majority. We'll get to that data in just a minute. But Andrew, I was just thinking, in fact, you and I were talking in the past. We had our own bit of trauma, but it was much smaller. Yeah. In fact, dare I say, way, way, way smaller <laughs> yeah. than what kids experience today in an average school. Talk, talk about what you were sharing with me, the middle school experience. Yeah, well, I mean, every kid when they're in sixth grade it goes through experiences that they think are traumatic, yes, but yes. they end up just being... Sixth grade stuff, right? Yeah. So I think back of my own time in middle school, and for some reason, inexplicably, I had like a, a year or two where I was cool. And it just lasted for a short period of time, and then it left. And I, I remember, um, I believe it was seventh grade, early on in seventh grade, I had one of the cheerleaders who actually wanted to go out with me. Now, of course, going out back then just meant like you sit next to each other at lunch, yes, you know, that's or whatever. Right, yeah. Um, and so uh, it lasted for two weeks. I was on cloud nine because I was, quote unquote, dating a cheerleader. Um, and then one day, inexplicably, I think I became uncool. I'm not sure yes. what I did, but yes. she uh, she dropped me like it's hot. You know, you've heard that term before. Yes. And, yes. Uh, yes. and I was done. So that was a, uh, a seventh grade version of a traumatic experience yeah. for me. But I think you had something. Oh, that my gosh. Well, Minor right? mine mine worse as in they're not as bad. <laughs> I think my biggest worry in middle school was, where's my baseball mitt and how do I find a girlfriend? Yeah. So Tracy Platt was the girl I really liked. She was really pretty. And I remember she did not want to date me. Or, and, and of course, date is, again, you know, it's, it's yeah. Relative. we're passing notes, uh -huh. you know, at best. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're seeing each other. You know, we're seeing each other. It's, it's kind of become a big thing. That's right. You know? Yeah. So, but I remember that. And I remember for a few days, it took me a while to get over the fact that she didn't want to, wouldn't want to go out. But I look back and I go, that was childhood stuff. <laughs> and when I think about what kids are going through today, yeah. uh, and I don't want to be cliche, please hear me listeners, we're not attempting to be pithy, but the trauma that they are experiencing isn't just silly stuff like Andrew and I just described. It's it's significant. We're going to look at it briefly, and then we're going to spend the most of our time, how do we lead kids through this adult-sized trauma that they've experienced? Absolutely. I wish, I wish that the 6th and 7th and 8th graders that I get to talk to today, that all they were going through was getting broken up with yeah. by their cheerleader yeah. girlfriend. But the reality is today's kids are going through all kinds of very, very real experiences. And, you know, I, I talk regularly to teachers who are like, listen, I can't be the counselor in the classroom. And I'm saying, you don't have to. That's not your role, right? Yeah. We're not asking you to be a professional counselor. But the reality is every adult in a kid's life today, well, a kid who's going through yeah. the stuff that we're going through today, has to recognize that they are going to have to play a role in helping yeah. a kid process, at the very least, uh, some of what they're going through. And that's a real challenge when some of the traumatic events they're facing, like the one I know you're about to talk yeah, about, yeah. are so intense. Yeah. So you all might remember uh, the tragic story from this past April. It was a sixth grade boy who found his dad's nine millimeter handgun, loaded it with a magazine of bullets, walked onto his campus at Plymouth Middle School outside of Minneapolis, Minnesota, and he positioned himself in a hallway, shot the gun toward the ceiling, 
and watch fellow students run and scream in terror. Mm. Now you might, why, why would he do that? Well, he explained later because what he thought would happen didn't happen. His goal was to commit suicide, but he didn't have the courage to do it himself. So he thought he would draw police in and they would shoot this boy with a gun and it would be over and he wouldn't have to do it. So he chose this method and recorded it in a suicide note. And he said this, I hope my death makes more sense than my life, wrote Mm. this 12-year-old boy. Just so tragic. And I'd like to say that was an isolated incident. Andrew, it's happening so much. In fact, I have shared recently um, something I don't know if I've said it on the podcast. In the year 2019, so that was a couple years ago, there were more mass shootings in America than we had days in the year. Yeah. So if we think, ah, that's not really how kids are making a big deal. Well, on the average, more than one a day. I did talk to a group of high school students in Gwinnett County, uh, not far from where we live, and they said, oh, yeah, Dr. Tim, when we hear a pop in our school, we're sure it's a gun. We all duck. Yeah, it may just be a balloon pop. That's right, and probably is just that. It's probably not a gun. But if they're all thinking that way, that is trauma entering their minds, even if it's perception. So. Yeah, it's just the incident was a part of a surge that I've just mentioned uh, in shootings this last spring. And it's often overlooked, I think, because of the COVID 19 pandemic. We're all talking about (laughs) Which is itself a trauma. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, There were actually 14 shootings that occurred on a school campus in less than three months. Wow. So think about that. That's almost five a month. Uh, And this was according to the Washington Post. It was the highest total over that period during any year since at least 1999 when Columbine High School, uh, the massacre uh, happened. So just crazy, crazy, crazy. Since 1999, so the last 21, 22 years, over 250,000 students have been exposed to a campus shooting during school hours. That's a quarter of a million. All I'm asking you to do, listeners, right now is just pause and think, is this the way life should be. And we would all say no. But so the second question, how do we lead if this is a reality? We can't pretend it's not happening. We can't just say, let's just do math. Somehow we're going to have to help them navigate emotionally what's going on. Absolutely. And the reality we have to um, sort of swallow is we're not really making a podcast here about school shootings, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, We're making it about um, trauma. And the, the reality is that even for those kids who were not involved in a school shooting. They were three states away. They never yeah. really had to do that. They're growing up in a world where they are exposed to information and yeah. ideas about the possibility of things that could might happen. And what we're seeing is a rise in kids who feel yes. trauma. Yeah, uh, and that's the phenomenon that we really want to address. Maybe there has been a school shooting near you. I don't know, but um, but whether or not there is, your students are still feeling the effects of this um, this phenomenon. That's exactly right. So, listeners, check this out. According to a nationwide study by the Barna Research Center in California, 82%, can I say that again? 82% of Generation Z members report experiencing at least one traumatic event in their lives. Wow. And for many, it was the first five years of their life when they're so impressionable. And for others, it was the COVID-19 pandemic. That was was a trauma. They, They failed. But think about it. If this stat- statistic is, is true, then more than 8 out of 10 students you're in front of on any given day would, would say, I've had trauma in my life, and it's affecting, perhaps, the way I do life. Absolutely. So uh, whether it's a school shooting or a COVID pandemic or something else in between, maybe something that happened at home or with a family member, uh, it is highly likely that you're working with kids today. 
yeah. uh, who are still sort of working through the after effects of this. And again, as we said, we're not asking you to take on, put on the hat of a therapist inside of the classroom, but merely to recognize that this is a reality we have to engage with. Yeah. So I don't know about you all, but uh, when I hear the word trauma, I, I automatically think of the term that has become quite popular today, PTSD, yep. post-traumatic stress disorder. Millions experience PTSD uh, to, to a degree. Yeah. There's different degrees of, of PTSD. Obviously, if you've been in Afghanistan or Iraq yeah. and you come back, it's high levels. And, and if you were in a, maybe a minor car accident, it might be a lower level, but it's still there. Yeah. Okay? Now, I want to I talk about this for a minute. Um, they're triggered. These PTSD victims are triggered by similar incidents, uh, and they've caused trauma for a period of time afterwards. Some would say, for the rest of my life. Uh, an infection like COVID-19 triggers the fear of death, perhaps. A loved one leaving the house, fostering a sense of loneliness in a child. Uh, you know, divorce happens. An unemployed parent maybe causes anxiety about adequate provision. You know, dad's out of a job or mom's out of a job. The footsteps of a stranger behind them in a dark night can produce paranoia for some. All of this seems, for perhaps to some of you, quite ridiculous, but it's very real, and perception is indeed reality. But um, PTSD does not need to rule the day. Yeah. If 82% are saying, yeah, I've been traumatized, it doesn't have to rule the day. And that's what we want to talk about the remaining minutes of Absolutely. this podcast. Yeah, I believe it was the first time we talked about it was when you um, put out your book, The Pandemic Population, yeah. because we yeah. were recognizing a high degree of students who are feeling like, I don't know what to do about this whole thing, trapped at home, all my favorite things got canceled. And as those trauma-inducing events were rising, what we yeah. recognized, and you uh, first read the research, you realized that PTSD is not only not the only option, it's actually not the most common option. Yeah, that's that when right. we experience traumatic events, there's an opportunity that that is located in that as well. So you want to talk about that? Yeah. So you've likely heard of the antidote to PTSD. Psychologists call it PTG. I had not heard of it up till uh, last year, a couple years ago, I suppose. Uh, PTG stands for post-traumatic growth. And in reality, when you look at the numbers, four out of five victims of trauma end up with growth, not stress disorders. Yeah. Or they go through uh, PTSD and then come out of it with growth. Yes. And I want to challenge you to consider this, listeners. What if you made one of your missions this year to not only lead or teach your typical day job, but to lead these end users, these students that you, that you lead and teach, out of this stress disorder into, I grew from all this tough time. I love that. I love that. Yeah, so when we think about PTG, we're not asking you again to put on the hat of a therapist. Yeah. True post-traumatic growth, especially for a student who's experienced extreme trauma, would need to be a licensed counselor who yes, understood correct. how to walk them through yeah. it. But the tenets of PTG are entirely possible for a teacher to do in regular interactions yeah. with their students, and that's really what we're talking about. Yeah, so we're about to give you some major steps, but they all fall under this umbrella. I think as a teacher or a leader of students, what we've got to do is allow them to process it. So part of the getting through the trauma is listening on our part, letting them process it through empathy, meaning we need to listen and then empathize. But then as you process with them, you begin to see perhaps the silver lining to the dark cloud, the potential positive outcome that came from this awful mess, you know. Yeah. And by the way, psychologists say it usually just takes a little time. 
Mm. We as humans, some of us can be more negative than others, but usually you get through it and the emotion dies down. And after the emotion dies down, you go, actually, this happened. Oh, yeah. that was wonderful, you know? Yeah. And uh, I've said before on this podcast, my mother was such a great guide for me to get to PTG whenever I had tough battles. But psychologists say those who experience PTG enjoy better perspective afterwards. They enjoy tangible gratitude. They enjoy proper priorities. You get your priorities straight. And then you enjoy healthier relationships. You yeah. tend to prioritize people afterwards. It makes sense. So that's what we're nudging listeners for as you think about leading students. I love that. Well, you've got a few steps that uh, we can take. And again, we're not asking you to put a therapist hat on, but uh, there are a couple things that you can do, even in your regular uh, interactions with students that can kind of encourage them and push them towards this. So if you're talking to a student who you, it seems like they seem to be overly focused on an event that happened in their past, maybe a recent past, like that was really hard for me to be trapped at home. You might hear a statement like that. Um, you can help them begin to process that through a couple of steps that, um, Tim wants to suggest here. And I think they could be really, um, simple ways to begin this process. Yeah, I think so. So all of this is a collection of research that we've read. Okay, so we've collated uh, people that are very insightful on this. And I'm about to give you four steps that I would say, if you practice them in this order, it's optimal. Okay? Mm. All four are great. Three or three out of four are great. But if you were to put them in, let's say you and I went to Starbucks and you just had five minutes, I'd say, this is what I'd tell you. And if you can do it in this order, it'd be great. All right? So step number one, Encourage these students that perhaps have been traumatized to begin running, biking, or exercising. Mm. Every one of us know that movement helps us get through difficult emotions, right? Uh, in fact, the happy chemicals come out, the endorphins, the yeah. serotonin, and others. So just get them moving. In fact, I think when we've been traumatized, get moving, all of a sudden now good chemicals, not just bad chemicals, are flowing through our, our brains. It's not just the fight or flight uh, stuff that's going through. Um, and, and when we run, we allow stuck feelings to get unstuck. Yeah. Somehow good things happen. And because we're a very sedentary culture right now, by and large, unless we're purposeful about the fitness center, we may not be doing this. And this might be the very thing that triggers PTG. All right? So step one, encourage them to begin running, biking, or exercising in some way. Step two, meet with them and listen as they process their traumatic experiences. Yeah. I've already alluded to this, but let me, let me kind of camp out on this for a minute. Once you feel like they're ready, counselors tend to agree that meeting with someone to listen and empathize is just therapeutic for students. We even say that, oh, that was therapeutic for me, you know, to do that. Um, set aside time to enjoy coffee or just listen to their difficult stories. You don't need to have an answer. In fact, I would advise don't have an answer, yeah, yeah, uh, especially right away. Totally agree because it it so invalidates what they're what they're feeling at the yeah. moment. Uh, avoid replying with some pithy solution about their traumas, which make them go. So it's a really small thing, is what you're saying. Yeah, uh, just listen, empathize, and guide them to see what good can come from it. Um, I remind myself, uh, listen, empathize, guide. It spells the word leg because I love acronyms. <laughs> That's my leg to stand on. That's the only thing I got. Yeah, I'm not a counselor. Yeah, but but boy, I can do that with yeah. with anybody, including my own my own kids. So research shows that four out of five times it leads to post-traumatic growth. Isn't that great? Four out of five times, yeah. PTG The vast comes. majority. Yeah. I love that. So the third um, step I would um, recommend is choose, so this is a choice, 
to embrace an accurate memory and a positive narrative. So those are two different tasks. An accurate memory, so we do remember the bad thing that happened. We're not in denial. We're not saying, la, 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 la. You know, we're not doing that. Mm -hmm. We're saying, wow, that was a tough year for yeah. sure. But a positive narrative, narrative can come from it without feeling fake. Yeah. So the bad thing did happen, but look at the good thing that's happened. Um, I think we forget how often people choose the narrative they carry with them, Andrew, yep. Yep. Uh, about the past. We all know people who've experienced tough times, and some come out of it with a positive attitude and others don't. Yeah. Um, I've said before in this podcast, my older sister and I, I love her to pieces, but we have very different narratives about our dad. Yeah. Uh, hers is, is very negative. It was, all, it was not good at all. And I, I thought, man, dad did a good job, yeah. you know? I, I, and it's not because I'm great and she's not. It's just we just chose different stories to tell ourselves about that. So um, I would recommend, if you have the time, to get a whiteboard, a chalkboard, or a smartboard and make a pro and con list of what happened. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the value of that. Writing down the cons that came from that trauma lets them know, oh, she sees... Those are real. This was hard. This yeah. has been real. Yeah. But writing down the pros might remind them or tell them for the first time, oh, there are indeed silver linings to yeah. the dark crowd. We can turn the disadvantage into an advantage. I love that. Sometimes so, I, I've, I've encouraged some teachers to ask the question, what did you learn about yourself in the yeah, last year? Yes. And that is really helping them recognize, we're not pretending that bad things didn't happen, but we're recognizing that we all learned some things. We're more resilient than we thought we were, or whatever that narrative is. And that's going to help start to you know shift some things. Yeah. When we do this, by the way, listeners, we equip them to choose hope. Mm. So the fourth and final step I've got for you, it's, they're all pretty doable and pretty simple, but help them look forward and look outward. So forward and outward. In fact, I would even say forward, outward, and upward. Mm. So one of our habitudes that I love, it's in the course Habitudes for Life-Giving Leaders, is called Fountains and Drains. Yeah. So fountains and drains both have to do with water flow. The big difference is drains are about inward and downward, inward and downward. Fountains are about upward and outward. What's your attitude doing? Yeah. Are you a drain? Do people describe you? Oh, he's draining. <laughs> yeah. We even use that term. Isn't yeah, it interesting? Uh, or are you a fountain? Um, just uh, And I just think that's what we got to shoot for. So looking outward expands their minds from being preoccupied with themselves, and looking forward expands their minds from being preoccupied with the past, Yeah, and that can happen. We also talk a lot around these parts about uh, windshields and rearview mirrors. Mm -hmm. So often we're preoccupied with the past, and it's almost like we're driving down the road gazing at the rearview mirror. We're sure to have an accident. Yeah, you will. Uh, we, we've, we've, got to, we've got to gaze out front of what's ahead. So upward and then forward helps them look, look um, out to, to, to the world beyond themselves and then forward to the future. I love that. So again, let me reiterate. I'm not a licensed counselor. I probably would have never, you would have never thought I was. <laughs> yeah. But my postgraduate degrees are in leadership development, and I, I'm telling you, I recently walked through the steps above with a college student named Rachel. She'd been traumatized by a COVID-19 infection and felt paralyzed. Her family members had all gotten it too. Sometimes that happens when you're quarantined yeah. together. Yeah. But it was really traumatic for her, much more than it was when I, when I got it myself. Um, we met regularly for a period of five months, so that was multiple times each month we happened to see each other. And I've watched her begin looking outward and forward since late January. It's been a joy 
to see her just change her outlook. And it wasn't adding any points to her IQ. I don't know that she read any books or, or, or anything like that. Didn't add any talents to her arsenal. But boy, her perspective is different, and that's what we're that's what we're shooting for. Absolutely, I love that. I love that. Uh, this year in the classroom, we have to recognize that we are uh, many of us are dealing with students who have faced adult-sized situations, adult-sized difficulties. Yeah. And you know, we talked about school shootings at the beginning, but it doesn't have to be that, right? There are all kinds of trauma-inducing events that are going on and feel like they're regularly yeah. happening out there <clears throat> in the world. It's about us recognizing the narratives that students are talking about or have developed from the experiences yeah. that they've gone through and sort of walking through with them, right? It's not a pressure situation, but just walking with them and helping them see that a little bit differently. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, um, to close out our time together, um, there's a story that you came across recently. Um, yeah. In fact, I believe you're putting it in an ebook that's coming out yeah. um, a- about a young man named Jackson Morgan and the transformation that took place when he started doing some of these things yeah. and began seeing himself differently. Yeah. So Jackson Morgan is a high school student. Uh, he lives up in Massachusetts, Plum Island, Massachusetts. And he basically said, here's, here's his own testimonial. He said, and I quote, the guy I was a year ago, I was a very different guy. I mean, I was a hothead. I had anger issues and stuff. Uh, Morgan concluded, I would damn near black out when I got mad and start a fight, and I would remember only pieces of it. So wow. that was a pretty, it was a surge of emotions, clearly traumatized. But he said, I manage my, I'm managing my emotions now. And she, he said, my mom was a very key part of his reco- this recovery. Wow. And she basically listened, empathized, and guided. She let him process all that was going on. She didn't have a quick answer for him. And uh, he's a different man now. He has experienced PTG. And all I'm saying to you listeners is, as we venture into uh, the, 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 the finale of the fall semester, into a new semester, this is our chance to be um, caring leaders, not just educators. And we really lead them through this process where they become better for it uh, because they went through it well. That is so true, Tim. Thank you so much. Well, I'm sure many of you are going to lead in this way, but it may be that some of you are looking for a a more structured way to have conversations about topics just like this. And if you're looking for a way to do that, we have a really fantastic tool that we believe in here at Growing Leaders. It's called Habitudes. Habitudes are simply images that form leadership habits and attitudes. So we use pictures, stories, and metaphors to start conversations with students about really important topics. Uh, We've got a great course called Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning. We have a middle school and high school edition of this program, and we would love for you to check it out. In fact, you can try it out for free. All you got to do is head on over to growingleaders.com slash S-E-L. That's growingleaders.com slash S-E-L. You can find out more about it. And as I said, try it out for free. Well, as always, if you would rate this podcast, give us five stars. That gets the word out about what we're doing here. If you found this particularly helpful or uh, impactful, pass it along to somebody that you know. Uh, We would really appreciate that. If you want to connect with us online, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore, pretty much everywhere you are. And then finally, if you have ideas for this podcast, people you want us to interview or subjects you think we should talk about, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those. Tim, thanks again for leading us. Thank you guys for leading the next generation, and we'll see you next time.